Welcome back to the Indiscriminate News Network. I'm your host, Jason St. Clair. We've got a mixed bag here. We've got talking about the leader of Islamic State, ISIS. Uh, got Hezbollah, news of Hezbollah, US, UK, Australia, North Korea, uh, San Diego couple in Afghanistan, and the this cool little science project out in um, Egypt. Okay, first off, leader of Islamic State in Greater Sahara killed by French troops, President Marcon says. So Adan Abu Walid al-Sahuri, the leader of the jihadist group Islamic State in the Greater Sahara, was killed by the French army, announced President Marcon early on Thursday, September 16th. Another major success in our fight against terrorist groups in the Sahel. This summer, the French executive had already announced the death of capture of several high-ranking ISGS executives by the French task force as part of its strategy to target leaders and executives of jihadist organization. The head of ISGS died following a strike by the Barkhand force. Let's see, ISGS created an Adan Walid Sahari in 2015 and was designated as a priority enemy in the Sahel. During the summit from Pau, southwest of France, January 2020, it's notably blamed for the most of the jihadist attacks against military and civilians in the Mali, Niger, and uh, Burkina Faso region known as the Three Borders Area where the jihadist organization uh, was affiliated with Al-Qaeda. is also very active. Okay. Hezbollah brings Iranian fuel into crisis-hit Lebanon. Hezbollah began bringing Iranian fuel into Lebanon via Syria on Thursday, a move that the Shiite Muslim group says should ease crippling energy crisis, but which opponents say risk provoking U.S. sanctions. A convoy of trucks carrying Iranian fuel entered northeastern Lebanon near the village of Al-Ain, Al where Hezbollah's yellow flag fluttered from lampposts. Thank you, Iran. Thank you, Assad. Syria declared a banner. Referring to Syria President Bashir al-Assad, Hezbollah's Al-Manar TV said a convoy of around 20 trucks crossed into Lebanon. The trucks sounded their horns as they passed through Al-Ain as people watched on some way Hezbollah's flag while women and boys threw pedals at one vehicle. The Iran-backed Hezbollah said that the ship carrying the fuel docked in Syria Sunday after being told, after being told going to Lebanon could risk sanctions. Washington has radiated that U.S. sanction on Iranian oil sales remain in place, but has not said whether it considered taking action over the move by Hezbollah, which designated it as a terrorist group. The Lebanese government has said its uh, its permission was not sought to import the fuel. The move marks an expansion of Hezbollah's role. It doesn't look like I mean the. If you're in that bad of a, a situation where you need oil, gas, and oil, period, it's like, uh, what are they going to be like? No, sorry, uh, we're not going to take it. The move marks an expansion of Hezbollah's role in Lebanon, where critics have long accused the heavily armed group of acting as a state within the state. Um, the energy crisis result financial meltdown to, since 2019, shrinking the currency some 90% and sending more than three quarters of the population into poverty. Holy smokes. Fuel supplies have dried up because Lebanon does not have enough hard currency to cover even vital imports. Forcing essential services, including some hospitals, to scale back or shut down, sparking numerous security incidents. Hezbollah declared it had broken an American siege. Lebanon's financial system unraveled as a part of decades of profligate spending, state riddled with corruption and waste, and unsustainable the way it was financed. Okay. U.S., U.K., Australia launched new trilateral Indo-Pacific alliance to counter China. So much for becoming more friendly. 
The U.S., U.K., and Australia have announced a new trilateral security alliance for the Indo-Pacific to take on the threats of the 21st century and allow for greater sharing of defense capabilities, including help Australia acquire nuclear-powered submarines in an effort to counter China's growing power and military presence in the strategically vital region. Unveiling the ambitious security initiative, U.S. President Joe Biden and U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Australian counterpart Scott Morrison at a joint statement said their move will promote stability in Indo-Pacific and support the shared values of interest. I think I agree with them in this case. Um, the only way to stabilize an ever-growing, like, aggressive force is, is, like, putting that equal amount out there, equal amount of force, aggressive force, to counterbalance it. <clears throat> We're taking another historic step to deepen the formalized cooperation among all three of our nations because we will recognize the imperative ensuing peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific over the long term. The U.S., Australia, and U.K. have long been faithful, capable partners, and we're even closer today. Today, we're talking about another. We're taking another historic step to deepen formalized cooperation among all three of our nations because we recognize the imperative ensuring peace, stability in the Indo-Pacific region over the long term. Okay, North Korea. North Korea says it tested a rail-launched ballistic missile. A rail-based ballistic system reflects North Korea's effort to diversify its launch options, which now include various vehicles on ground. Launch pads may eventually include submarines. North Korea said it was successful to launch a ballistic missile from a train for the first time and was continuing to bolster its defenses after two Korea's test-fired missiles hours apart and dueling displays of military might. Wednesday's launch program, uh, launches underscored a return of tensions between the rivals among a prolonged stalemate in U.S.-led talks aimed at stripping North Korea of its nuclear weapons program. Same, same in North Korea, South Korea. All right. San Diego couple trapped in Afghanistan returning to the U.S. after weeks of Taliban harassment. The couple is among 33 San Diegans. ISSA helped to get out of the country since U.S. withdrawal its forces and the, the uh, Taliban took over. An elderly couple returning to San Diego after weeks of being harassed and intimidated by Taliban were trying to get to Kabul Airport in Afghanistan. Um, this is a cause for celebration with all countless hours of work under very difficult conditions. Issa said that in the press release posted on his website, our team simply would not give up and it paid off today when we got him home. While we've made extraordinary progress, we're not stopping until everybody comes home. Damn, there's the people stuck up. The couple, names of a couple, both their 80s, were being withheld because of safety concerns because they still have family in Afghanistan. His office began helping the couple logistically after their granddaughter, Zuhal, contacted his office to tell him they had been repeatedly stopped by Taliban at airport checkpoints for weeks. Her name was also withheld for safety reasons. See, the couple's among 33 San Diegans as I helped to get out of the country since the U.S. withdrawal forces and the Taliban took over. Among them were six families from San Diego's El Cajon neighborhood who had traveled to the country in the spring to visit relatives. One family who has students enrolled in the Cajon Valley Union School District remains stuck in Afghanistan. El Cajon, east of San Diego, has a large refugee population. Secretary of State Anthony Bilkin told Congress this week that about 100 citizens remain in the country and want to leave. Rescue groups and lawmakers believe the number could be higher. So this is a private company helping people get out. Uh, where's the state at? All right. This is, we're going to finish off with some science. It's like crazy. So the faces of three ancient Egyptian men have been brought 
to life by scientists using DNA that's more than 2,000 years old. This is thought to be the first time modern techniques have been used on human DNA on this age, with a trio of samples estimated to be 2,023 years old to 2,797 years old. The trio have their names, they're just numbers, um, looks like. Believed to live circa 769 to 560 BCE. Uh, the features of the current uh, ancient Egyptian mummies were unveiled by Parabon nanolabs who used cutting-edge technology that forensic artists predict the men's appearance around age 25. The mummies came from ancient Nile community known as Abur, Absur el-Malik. The team noted that our ancestry more closely matched modern Mediterranean and Middle Eastern individuals rather than Egyptians. The complexions were thought to be light brown, dark hair, and no freckles. A press release from Parabon went into detail saying these results are highly consistent with a Shunman el et al's conclusion that ancient Egyptians shared more ancestry with Near Easterners than present-day Egyptians, who received additional sub-Saharan admixture in recent times that they had an allele for lighter skin. So that's a DNA subtract for lighter skin. Raw data was obtained from three ancient Egyptian mummies available in a European nucleotide archive, ENA, before they were sequenced aligned with human reference genome and dynamic damage Repaired was performed on each sample. The work was only made possible with biometric advances in the field of low coverage amputation, it was claimed. Paraben is lead of forensic microarray. That's crazy. They took 2,000 year old DNA and actually recreated their faces. Following the amputation stage, Paraben snapshot DNA phenotype pipeline. This goes into the science of it. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to. The Indiscriminate News Network. I'm your host, Jason Eclair. Take care. I hope everybody's doing well. Um, Hear from me soon. Bye.